Welcome to the Huntsback Country Podcast. This is episode number 426, and our guest is Jessica Byers. I've met Jessica really online through her employer, which is Huntinful, and we've had some of the folks from Huntinful on this show in the past, but Jess works for their crew, and just, you know, through working in the industry, we've connected on a few different things and exchanged emails and the more I got to know Jessica online and saw what she was up to, I just knew I had to get her on the podcast to learn more about her, her background, her story, her adventures, her work in the industry, her hunting experience, what it's like to be a female who's really into hunting and in the hunting industry, and a whole lot more. So there's so stinking much that we covered in this episode, and I loved it. We talked about everything from female hunting gear to hunting South Africa to some therapy and mental tactics for shot opportunities. I mean, it was all over the place in the best way possible. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. If you want to learn more about Huntinful or follow Jess and what she's up to, be sure to check out the links in the show description for that. While you're down there as well, you can also see how to contact us. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or anything like that for us, be sure to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And also, if you just want to let us know how your hunting season's going, if you have a story to share, some photos, lessons learned, anything like that, it'd be great to hear from you. Right now, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Jess. All right, Jessica, well, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to chat with you. Uh, we have kind of like exchanged a ton of emails and stuff in the past and kind of worked on some projects for lack of better terms but we've never actually chatted much I don't know like a lot of your background history or even all the hunting stuff that you've done so I'm personally just excited to to chat with you today yeah thank you for having me on it's it's nice to connect with people outside of a skirt so I'm excited to chat with you guys and um yeah dive into it yeah we'll start here with some like introduction background let us know what you do over at hunt and fool which is how you and i have connected but uh even before that kind of what your background is a bit yeah so i'm i was born and raised in central texas so i'm from the south and um back in 2015 my dad took me elk hunting for the time is actually left and i just fell in love with it um that's when that was a turning point of like, I know I want to live in the mountains someday. This is so much better than whitetail hunting. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where my addiction to elk hunting began. And I was always, you know, curious what it would be like to move up north. Um, but long story short, at the time I was I was writing a lot. Um, you know, if, if you go if I go backwards a couple of years, my husband got me into bow hunting. My dad raised me hunting, like from when I was a kid. When I met my husband in 2012, he put a bow in my hand. So that's when I started archery hunting, which led to the elk hunt for my wedding day. Um, but, but I, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, um, so I started, so after a couple of seasons of archery hunting, I kept running into women that were, they just kept saying, I don't know how you do that. That's so intimidating. Like I, I could never do that. And I just realized there was a lack of confidence in that space as far as like women that were interested, but didn't know how to get started. And like the idea of 
picking up a, a bow was really intimidating to them. And even like watching, walking into an archery shop, like that would never happen for women. And so in the space at the time, there weren't any women talking about their journey, like with a bow and what it was like for them, their failures, their successes. And I, I found a love for writing when I was really, really young. So I was like, okay, I'll just start writing about my adventures and kind of had my own little, I don't know, I guess it's called, I guess a blog going at the time. And it started to connect me with people in history. I did that for a few years, traveled around the world, um, hunted all over. And then, like I said, I knew I wanted to live in the mountains one day because that initial um, experience elk hunting with my dad. And so in 2019 at SHOT Show, I honestly, I always say like one handshake can change your life. I shook our CEO's hand, Jared Lyle at SHOT Show, um, just through a mutual friend. They were needing somebody in marketing and PR, someone that like understood the industry. And because I had been in it for a while, again, just writing for different companies. Um, yeah, it was a perfect fit that gave me my ticket to the mountains and packed my bags. 11 months later, after shaking his hand, I was living in Southern Utah, working at Huntful. Is that, I think your Instagram handles follow something, right? Does that yes. have to do oh. with the kind of inspiring other women to kind of follow along what you were doing? Yeah. So follow her arrow. So I went, so I went to, when I was in college, I went to school for graphic design and um, just found a love for just creative outlets. And like, I, I, as soon as I got out of school and decided to start writing and everything, I, I decided to build my own website and I wanted to brand it something that would kind of jump out. And at the time, uh, Casey Musgraves had that song, follow your arrow, wherever it points. And it was like, everybody knew it. Everybody. I mean, even if you don't like the song, you know, the song. And so, um, I was going to brand it, follow your arrow. Cause I wasn't trying to make it women specific. And then as I thought about it a little bit more, I'm like, well, that's taken. And I really do want this to be an invitation for women to know that they have a place and a person they can lean on. Who's not going to filter everything. Um, I'm pretty raw about when I screw up and I try own it because if you if you're really honest with yourself as a hunter you're you're gonna make mistakes and if you haven't you haven't bow hunted long enough and I wanted that to shine through my brand and I I it worked so I'm very grateful and uh flattered actually when people don't know my name but they know my brand I'm like okay well I did something right <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome is that website still going it is but it's I need to update it. So it's so there's this weird there's this weird transition that when I went to Huntful, um, I was just like I ride so hard for the brand as far as like uh, as far as Huntful goes. I like my own brand kind of took a backseat and like un unintentionally, truthfully. Mm -hmm. I just I just love my job, like my main nine to five. I I freaking love working um, at Huntful, and so. I write, I write for our magazine more and then I should just put those articles on my website, but I don't. And so, yeah, most of what I've done is just going to be in Huntful and not on my own website. <laughs> they kind of lecture me. They're like, you really need to keep writing for your own website too. But um, yeah, I, I, I love just representing Huntful. So it's, mm. it's not going as, I don't have anything recent on there is the answer. I think the last thing I did was 
a pack list for my goat hunt last year, um, which includes y'all's packs, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. That's uh, I can relate to a lot of that, Jess. I honestly is very similar how I started. Yeah. I was from the Midwest. I started elk hunting on my own and just documented that journey with a blog, not expecting anything, um, not trying to make anything out of it per se, but just like document for my own sake. And then uh, somehow blink and 10 plus years later, here we are like working for XO and doing the podcast and all the other stuff. So it's actually a very similar, like big picture journey. That is so cool. And I, I do think, I mean, being from the South or the Midwest, like when you aren't exposed to mountain hunting, I, there's something like truly pivotal internally that happens whenever you get that first experience. It's, it's just like a whole new world. Um, and I'm really grateful to have both sides of it. Right. Like I, I love, mm -hmm. I still love whitetail hunting. Nothing fills my heart more than running through the mountains all September and then coming home and smoking a whitetail from a tree stand. Cause I'm tired of running through the mountains. <laughs> so, um, I, I still enjoy and appreciate all aspects of hunting and which is what kind of makes me, you know, curious about hunting new places. I, I desire to see, I always say I'm a traveler first and a hunter second, but I think it's, I think it's where the animals live that really move me and get to me. Um, but that's really cool that I haven't really, I haven't really met somebody who has a, that similar of a story, particularly when it comes to writing, because I feel like writing is a lost art and, um, you know, people can be great with words and talk to people but when it comes to like pen to paper, they, they struggle to, um, paint that story. But I, I feel like I'm a lot better writer than how I speak. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate actually, which is why it was very uncomfortable <laughs> to do a podcast for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I get really nervous. So, so if y'all want to cut that beginning out, it's fine. It's like, I've done, I've probably done a hundred podcasts and I still, get nervous sometimes jumping on and it's has nothing to do with y'all. It's just, it's just one of those things Like I, I do better, um, through writing. And I think, uh, it started at a really young age, like just going through, um, uh, therapy when I was young for some, you know, childhood stuff. And I didn't know how to speak to my therapist. I just got quiet and she's like, okay, your homework is to go home and write every single day. You just write about whatever you want or good, bad in between. And that changed my life. I mean, I had journals and journals and journals and eventually I, I did burn them all because it's so cringy to read those again, but um, <laughs> it was very healing and it was an outlet. And it's like, wow, I can say whatever I want on these pages and it can be secret. It can be, I can sleep on it and look at it again in the morning, which is funny. That's how I approach a lot of even emails day to day. You know, if I have a really tough email with that I need to address, I'll sleep on it. And I revisit the next day. And I don't know, I think, I think people would find, um, a similar experience if they would just put pen to paper and go into a quiet space for a little bit. That's cool. How do you like, so starting follow her arrow and pre hunting fool, but even now, cause now with hunting fool even though you're not necessarily as active with your own brand or follow her arrow like you get to do a lot now like you just came off a media event you were just in south africa you had your goat hunt like you get to do all these cool things and you know with some sort of like social media presence and still being a little bit visible and active to some extent like how do you 
think about, look at, consider being an example for women, whether that's, you know, adult women, because there's still plenty of women who kind of get started later in life, or even younger women and young girls just as displaying, hey, women can do this and hunt this way and all that. Just, I know that's so open-ended, but yeah, how do you think about that? Like, as far as what kind of, kind of impact can I make as I do travel around the world? I'm sure I just want to make sure I understand yeah. your question. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that something you're actively trying to still like be an example? Or you're just like, hey, here's what I'm doing. This is what it is. I'm not necessarily like trying to be an influencer role model, but I think you are. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I would say absolutely. I still want to set that example i guess at the end of the day i just want women to feel like they can do it too and you you don't and you don't have to you know there's more than one way to skin a cat and i feel like people um get caught up in like this is the only way this is the right way i i that kind of irks me actually in this industry it's like well this is how you're supposed to do it i'm like "Well, well i do things a little bit different and i think that women naturally think differently approach situations differently um have a different hunting style, um, different, um, things, certain things are more important on a hunt. Like the saying, stop and smell the flowers. Like that's me. I will literally get distracted by a flower or a shed, or I want to watch this sunset for a minute. Even if there's a elk bugling, like I think women just see like, I don't know, slow down a little bit. And then I want them to feel like it's okay to have a different style or take something from that adventure. That's not necessarily with one thing in mind, you know, I, um, and I don't want to speak for you guys, but I, when I've hunted with a lot of minutes, you're like, we got to kill, we got to kill. Like that's the one, <laughs> one track mind. That's what it's about. Um, and that's why I said I'm a traveler hunt, a traveler first and a hunter second. I think a lot of women can, um, that resonates with them. And I, I just want to set that example that yeah, you can travel all around and go on these really cool opportunities and um, but it's not always about 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 killing and you didn't fail if you didn't kill and if you screwed up, you didn't fail. Like just trying to highlight that it's okay to not have the same ending as someone else and you're not less of a hunter or you're not weaker, you're not less capable. It's just where you are. Um I don't know if that answers your question, but it's it, that's that's really the example I try to set because um, it's it can be very intimidating to step into this space as a woman. It's like, how do you get started? And if they don't have anybody to introduce them to it, then you know I want to be that for them. One of the takeaways I think I would love to have from this episode, and this isn't like a, I don't want to make it all about this, but just especially as some of the guys, like regular listeners are tuning in, and we get these questions of like, hey, I want to, I mean, I literally just this week had a guy reach out and I was like, I'm taking my wife on her first hunt this year. Like they were doing a, a November rifle mule deer hunt in Montana. And he was asking about, you know, how do I keep her comfortable and make it enjoyable and it's going to be cold and how do we deal with that and et cetera, et cetera. I would just love for guys to have the mindset of like, what, what can we pull from you, Jess, on making the experience is beneficial and most enjoyable if we're taking whether it's our daughter wife friend whoever 
on a hunt. And I think that's one of those things you just highlighted was you got to like let them soak in the experience, maybe slow down, maybe not push as hard, not just because you said it's not because they're like weaker or can't do it, but just they see things differently. I think that's just a great takeaway to have. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love that. So I don't know if it's her first hunt, if it's a November ruffle. It's her heart. <laughs> um, first, uh, hell, if it's first or if it's her hundredth hunt, it's going to be cold and uncomfortable. And I think, you know, I, I do a lot of like mental preparation going into hunts, depending on what it is. Um, gosh, Alaska was that way, man. I, I, the, my mountain goat hunt. I mean, I, I mentally and physically prepared differently for that hunt than others, but I would just say if it's, you know, a, a, a pretty typical hunt as far as weather and conditions opportunity. Um, I would just tell guys, yeah. So, so slow down, notice what's important to them to make the hunt fill their cup. Um, if you really want him to love it, right? Because I've met a lot of kids and women that are like, absolutely not. He ran me in the ground. I'm just, it wasn't enjoyable. And I'm like, dang it. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way, but it is very tough. I know how hard it can be to slow down. Like when you know that you can push a lot harder and you feel that that's going to lead to success um, and, it, and it might, but at, at what expense, right? Do you really want them to love it? Is it about them? Or are you solely focused on this is my tag and I have to fill it and I just want them to be there for it. You know, like there's going to be some meeting in the middle, but um, obviously you can't control weather conditions, opportunity. Like there's a lot of things you can't control in a hunt, which is really what's cool about it, but you can control to a great extent your, your comfort. Like, are you warm and are you well fed? Those are like two really big i mean in in sleeping to an extent I, I i'm not as sensitive to that just because i i'm like i can sleep anywhere <laughs> so um but i do know that that can be that can be tough so um being warm is a real thing women do not have as much like their circulation is worse mine included like my fingers i have the like raynods or however you say it where i don't get circulation in my feet and hands very well so i load up on hot hands, even on mountain hunts. This isn't just like for white tail hunting in a stand. This is like, I keep them on me. Um, just cause I feel like if your hands and feet are cold, everything's cold. So it's really, really important. Um, even if you have to get, even if you need to get like a, a heated layer or vest or heated socks, like I know a lot of women who wear those. I don't, I do plan to get some for my muskox hunt next year, but like I don't currently use them, but I've heard wonderful things about them. Um, yeah, invest in, invest in quality gear. That's going to make them as comfortable as possible. And then food is life, man. If you're trying to run, I mean, y'all know how many times have you been trying to like pack something out and you just feel like you're on E and you can push through for a little bit mentally. And maybe you can pop a few honey stinger chews or something and push like, like you can do it. But for a new hunter, that can be really miserable. So I always say take lots of snacks, keep them fueled, keep them hydrated, like watch for those things because the minute they hit that wall of I'm starving, I'm dehydrated, I'm tired, I'm cold, like it's just going to ruin the experience. And, and again, it's going to take some 
moving away from your natural tendencies as an experienced hunter and what you're used to doing to like focus on them and be checking in. It's almost like it's no different than a guide to a client, right? Right. Like you have to keep them going or you're not going to find success and you have to meet them where they are. And I mean, if you don't, they're just not going to enjoy the experience. It's just, yeah, they're not going to want to go out again. So you got to think of it long term and not just this single moment, this single experience that you're, this adventure that you're going on. Great stuff. (laughs) What? Can you go back to mental prep and how you think about the particular hunt and how you prepare for it mentally uh, when it's required? Like, I'd just love to hear you expand on that. What does it look like for you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, a lot of your mental, your mental state is a reflection of what you, is the efforts that you're putting in, right? I don't have a problem getting up and rucking, you know, several times a week and and, and, um, increasing my weight throughout the summer. Like I've been doing that and that inevitably makes you feel good, right? Like just moving your body and working out makes you feel good. But whenever, you know, you can carry that much weight on your back for miles at a time, that's going to mentally make you feel better when you're shooting your bow every single day. And that first arrow was a kill shot. It's like those things, obviously mental, mentally prepare you, but, um, I think it depends on the kind of person you are. I'm, I'm naturally, I'm very hard on myself, right? So, and I also connect my self-worth to my accomplishments, which is, I'm not saying this is healthy, but I imagine that it's relatable for people who are listening. Um, That's always made me like push really hard and have a good work ethic. And no no matter what it is I'm doing in my life, it's like, oh, if I I do this and then I'm, I feel good about myself, right? And so that's a little scary though, because you can't always control the hunt. I mean, you can't, you can't control the weather. You can't control what animals are going to do. Um, there are going to be times where you have to kind of, you have to release that control and still stay in a good mental space. So leading up to my Alaska hunt, I had a lot of fears. So, so last year I'd never been to Alaska. I'd been wanting to go to Alaska forever. Um, and I went from never going to, I went three times in like three or four months last year for all different trips. And it was incredible. But the one that I prepared for the longest was my goat hunt, obviously, because we got the draw results earlier in the year. And um, so my, my, my biggest fears were a not being able to keep up physically with my guide who ended up being my boss, Austin Atkinson. Um, And so it was three guys in me. And so naturally just right off the bat, I'm like, I'm the girl. I'm, I feel like I'm going to be the weak link. I have to work harder than anybody. So I started training like really early last year. I mean, rucking earlier than I ever had, pushing it really hard. And, um, but then I thought about, well, crap, what if I get an opportunity? What if he presents an opportunity as my guide and I miss a goat? You know, like what if I, what if I miss and I let him down? And then, you know, that meant that, that can, you can really spiral in that state of like imagining you failing. And I couldn't seem to get that out of my head of like, it's a people pleaser in me of like, well, I'm going to let him down. And there's another guy with me that has a tag and it's just, it was so, I had so much pressure built up of, I have to, I have to perform. I have to do well on this hunt. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And so I went to, um, I have this life 
coach that I've been working with for a little bit. And she um, is really good at doing like brain rewiring where you can. So I expressed my fears of like, what if I miss a go and I let them down and they're disappointed. And then how do I, how do I snap back out of that? Because y'all know how it is. If you miss something or you wound something, it's really, really difficult. Well, I don't want to speak for y'all, but for me, I, I struggle to reset like, okay, I'm going to approach this ne- next stock as if it's my first opportunity. We're going to forget about me missing. or I'm going to forget about what happened on my last hunt. And this is a clean slate. You have a fresh start. Well, I have a really hard time doing that. Like sometimes I just need to decompress and then like reset. And I don't want to go right back to it. But I'm like, when you're, when you're mountain goat hunting, you have a week, you, you're kind of limited. You don't have time to sit around and like, <laughs> so, like, like feel bad and throw a, a pity party and like re- reflect on it for too long. You just can't, you have to like snap out of it. And so I told her, I'm like, I'm really worried. What if, what if I screw up? What if I, you know, what if I let them down? What if I, you know, all the things that go through my, what go through people's head. And she's like, well, let's rewire that. And so what we did is there's this exercise where you can close your eyes and you have these, um, I think it's, I think it's actually considered something like EMDR work. Like, uh, I can't remember what that stands for, but you have like tappers on your wrists. I'm kind of diving into some therapy stuff right now. This might not be what y'all are interested in. No, I like it. (laughs) That's super interesting. Yeah, I'm Um, I'm in. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, a therapy called EMDR work. It's really, really common for like PTSD and uh, just trauma. Uh, Really powerful. So she specializes in that. And so there's these tappers that I put on my wrist and they, you can control the, the, the frequency that they tap and then the intensity of them. Right. So I'll set them to whatever beat she tells me to. And as you, and then she's like, okay, close your eyes. I want you to walk through and you're starting, like you're getting dropped off by the bush plane. You're going up the mountain. Just close your eyes and and, and imagine that. You don't have to talk about it out loud. Just go through it in your head. And then I'm going to stop you in a few minutes. I'm going to ask you where you're at. And so what would happen is eventually I'd get through this visual because you're just, you have to let your mind go wherever it goes. It's, you're not going to control it. Good, bad, in between. And it may take off and you might not even be on your hunt anymore, right? And she'll bring you back to the the core, um, like you, she'll bring you back to the thing that you're worried about, which so for, sometimes I'd go off and I'd end up, end up back in Utah or, or in the office. And she's like, nope, go back to the goat hunt. Okay. So we'd go back to the place. I'd get to where, well, she say, what, what are you thinking about? I'm like, I just missed a goat. And she goes, okay, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel defeated. I'm having a meltdown on the mountain right now. <laughs> like these are that this is actually happening in my mind. Like visually I can see it. And she's like, okay, take a step back. And I want you to visualize succeeding. I want you to visualize, I want you to rewrite that story in your mind. And we just did it over and over again. And eventually it's crazy. Sometimes it takes a few times because it's hard to get that, um, that fear that uh, I don't want to call it negativity because it's real. It's just like, it's sometimes hard to pull out of that, but if you do it enough times, you will literally rewire your mind to visualize your success down to the detail of where you hit, where that goat ran, watching it pile up, watching it roll down the mountain. Like, I mean, I, it's so crystal clear to me. And then, so once I got to 
place, I, I never went back because she wouldn't let me walk away from the session without seeing anything but my success. And so when you go into a hunt feeling that or go into any life situation with that in your mind, you carry yourself different. You approach things differently because you're like, oh, I'm going to win. I'm going to succeed. Like you don't have those fears sitting there because you already addressed them and you rewired it. It's really cool. It's super powerful work, but it's, you know, you got to be open to that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just kind of dove into like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of that kind of um, work, but it's really, really cool. And my mentality on that hunt drastically shifted. And I'm very, very proud of my mental state going into it. Like aside from the fact that I ended up getting a goat and that I was confident behind my weapon, I went into it with like, I can't fail on this hunt. No matter no matter what happens, I can't fail. And it was really, really cool. I enjoyed the experience so much more. Like all that pressure mm. just kind of like melted away from me. And I was just happy with what I brought, you know, what I what I brought to Alaska physically, mentally, emotionally was like, I'm I'm at my best right now. I'm at my peak. Well, no matter what happens, this is the best of me. And it was, it truly was. Mm, that's awesome. Mark and I talk about that a lot is, how to build that level of confidence, right? And a lot of it just, there's no easy button for it, but visualization is certainly a key aspect of it. And you're, you're thousand percent spot on of that. You, when your attitude is I'm going to be successful, the, you approach every single aspect of the entire hunt differently than if your attitude is like, Oh, the, the cards are stacked against me. I'm, I've got no chance. Then you, um, you, you literally, can dictate your success just by your mental attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And I, and if I hadn't done that work before, I promise you, I probably would have had a mental breakdown on the mountain when I woke up and my sleeping pad was floating and my bow was underwater in my tent. Like just <laughs> experiences like that. You can't prepare for that. If, I mean, you can't prepare for it, but you, if, if you go into it with, yeah, that everything is against me and the weather is going to get the best of me and mother nature is going to like, you know, mother nature always wins, but, um, yeah, going into it with that mindset was, I think what made that hunt as special as it was. And it just showed me what, what's possible. Um, and how much more preparation is needed outside of the obvious physical conditioning that most people talk about. Yeah. It's, it's 90% mental. Yeah. Yes, it is. Were you, I'm assuming like, I want to fast forward to the shot opportunity. I'm not sure how that went down on your goat, but at that point, you're not, you're not going back to the pre-visualization visualization and all that. You're just still kind of like in the moment or what? what's your mindset in the moments leading up to the actual shot opportunity that happened? Just fully present, fully focused or? Fully present, fully present. And I think, I think probably because I did address those fears before that. So I wasn't able to look too far ahead. You know, that's, that's really what can like be damaging, right? Is if you already wrote your story in your head and you see yourself mm -hmm. missing and failing. So getting that out of my system and addressing that and doing the work prior didn't, I never, it never allowed me to think 
far ahead. And actually I had a moment on that hunt because the deal was that the guy was going to shoot first. He was a, a, a client of Austin's. And so it was always understood I was going to shoot second and just getting fogged in and constant rain and the goats being up high. I just, there was a moment where I thought, I'm not going to get a goat on this hunt, but I'm not, but I don't even care. Like I was so happy because it wasn't because it wasn't, it had nothing to do with my preparation mentally, physically. Like I could, I could go anywhere. It was in the best shape of my life. I was confident. It, it had nothing to do with my mentality. It was just like cards, you know, mother nature doesn't give a crap right now. And so we're probably, I'm probably not gonna get a goat and that's okay. But it didn't, it didn't. Um, bring me down. And so leading up to the shot, so I actually leading up to the shot, I don't know if y'all watched the film or not, but oh, wait, I think you did. Anyway, Goat Hunt just came out on our YouTube channel about a month ago. And um, before that, I had a shot at like, I don't know, 500 yards or something. And I missed the goat. It was the winds were really, really rough. And we booked it up the mountain to give me the opportunity at the goat that I did get. And even that miss before didn't, it didn't wreck me. It was so cool because like I said, it's really hard to pull out of that. And I didn't get, I didn't get down. Like, again, it didn't make me think like, dang, I suck. I'm a failure. I'm not going to go get a goat because of this miss. Like I never felt that one time. And if I'm being completely honest, that's tip. That's not typically my mindset after I screw up because I am a perfectionist and I do want to perform. And I put so much time into preparing in every area of my life, not just hunting. I expect excellence <laughs> out of what I do. And so uh, I was really proud of myself after I missed. I'm like, I can still smile. I can still hold my head high. Like, I see the 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 win in the moment, which was that we just didn't call the wind right, right? Like the elevation was perfect. I felt I didn't, you know, hammer the trigger. Like I felt good about it. And so going to that second, it was, again, it's like I was approaching it with a um, clean slate and I didn't pressure that I typically do. And good thing because it was, it happened very, very fast. And I had to shoot off of a spotting scope on a tripod in like not a comfortable position. <laughs> like it was fast. Uh, yeah, I think, I just don't think it's healthy to get behind a trigger if you're not, if you're not going into it with confidence, it, whether that's gun or bow, right? And that's why yeah. I said sometimes I have a hard time snapping out of it. And I didn't have that time, you know, sometimes you don't have time to just sit there and stew on it and like bring yourself back to a good place in whatever time frame that is. Like you don't, you don't have that. You just gotta, you just gotta take care. You gotta capitalize. So I was able to do that, but I don't think I could have done that without the work before the hunt. That's cool. I like what you said about like, uh, this was earlier, but not like getting ahead uh, not getting ahead of yourself, like not thinking through the what ifs, but just being like super, super present on, cause really, I mean, when you get ahead into the what ifs, you're, you tend to create anxiety about something that doesn't exist and that may never exist, but it's very real. Like the anxiety can be very real to think, what if I miss, or what if this happens or what if the weather or, 
you know, not even in a shot opportunity, but hey, we're on day two, three, four, five of this hunt and we only have a day or two left. So what if this doesn't happen? And, you know, all that future thinking just creates anxiety. That's real anxiety about something that hasn't happened yet, about something that isn't real. Uh, and it just doesn't right. do you any good. And it takes you out of, hey, what can I control and what is happening right now? And what can I do about like the current moment and the rest of the time that I do have? No, for sure. And if, and if you're not able to stay present, it can, you can, you can screw up big time. I'll, I'll give you another example. So two years ago, um, I screwed up my left shoulder. Well, so I'll rewind again. So when I first started bow hunting, my husband surprised me with the bow. He got me right-handed bow because he's like, I'm right-handed. Okay. I shot right-handed for five years, found out I was left eye dominant when I went to go get certified to be an archery coach for like at schools. Cause I wanted to start helping kids shoot that we did the eye dominance test. I'm like, what the heck I've been shooting a bow wrong this whole time. If y'all tell me I'm supposed to shoot my dominant eye, I'm definitely not shooting with my dominant eye. Um, a year later I switched to left-handed. So I've been a left-handed archer ever since well, two seasons ago, a week before my New Mexico archery elk hunt. I, I, my left shoulder, I don't even explain what happened, but I couldn't lift it. I could, I definitely wasn't drawing a bow. The only thing I could do was what I, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just not going to be able to hunt. And I was devastated because archery elk hunting is my favorite thing ever. Um, and I'm like, no, what can I do? And I remembered, I remembered, um, uh, what is his name? Dirk. Dark Durham, he shot a bull with a mouth tab. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the shop. I'm like, I'm not going to miss archery season. So I'm like, I'll use a mouth tab. And so I thought about it. I'm like, wait, I used to shoot right-handed. I have a right-handed bow. I wonder if I could draw my right-handed bow. I pull out my 10-year-old bow and I was able to draw right-handed. So I shot right-handed for a week, went on my hunt. And in the heat of the moment, like, I had stalked in on this bull for an hour and a half. Um, I get my opportunity at 30 yards. I come to full draw. I was already visualizing me packing him out at full draw, y'all. Like, that's how confident I was. I was like, I'm about to smoke his ass. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm at full draw. And I remembered, um, you know, so a really good way to stay present is to um, tap into all your senses, right? So like, what do I see right now? What do I hear right now? What do I smell, taste, whatever? So I was tapping into all my senses. And I, when I came to my, um, what I, what do I see? And then simultaneously went through my shot process or my, my anchor points and everything to make sure like, cause I, I had to hold for a minute while he, he was looking at me and then he turned his head. So I was walking through, I was like, stay present, stay present, stay present, checking my anchor points. And then I was like, my eyes started doing something weird. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm not even looking through my freaking peep right now because I was, my left eye was taking over. So my left eye, I, I, when I shoot left-handed, I keep both eyes open. But if I shoot right-handed, I have to close my left eye or it is, it takes over. I, I had both eyes open just cause like, again, I switched a week before and I I wasn't even on I was like wasn't even on the bull because I was looking left eye through the sight off of 
him. Like it was, yeah. it was like on his neck or something. You know what I mean? Like I said, it wasn't on the bull. I was on his, not on the vitals, excuse me. And it, I like, I was like, holy crap. I, I almost, I don't, I just almost screwed up that entire opportunity. So I closed my left eye, align everything and let one fly. And I, I mean, I smoked him perfectly, but I, I would have completely jacked up that entire experience if I didn't bring myself back to the present and walk through that shot process and walk through my senses. Absolutely. I would not have killed that bull. And it's a perfect example of like, I got so far ahead of myself because I was so jacked up because going into the hunt, I thought it's going to be a miracle. If I even get an opportunity, it's going to be a, it like a double miracle. If I can pull this off when I haven't shot right-handed in all these years. And thankfully I was able to like calm myself down long enough to walk through all of that and make it happen. But man, I wonder how many people do that. You know, when you just totally screw up that in the moment opportunity, because you're, you're like, you're not even there. You black out or you're already thinking like, I got this in the bag. Well, I'm sorry, but it, <laughs> most of the time when you go there, you totally, you just screw it up. So, Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. You're able to stop yourself and identify that because most most people wouldn't you just cruise right through and miss and like what the you know you're just kind of looking around dumbfounded how the hell did i just miss that bowl at 15 yards and happens all the time oh yeah and i've still done that don't get me wrong i've i've screwed up multiple opportunities um i don't mean to sound like i i get it right every time but i remember thinking that moment thank you god that i w stayed present in that moment because my heart was pounding like it was one of the coolest um, elk hunts, like elk moments I've ever had. And I just thought, okay, can you calm yourself down long enough to just capitalize and then, and not get too far ahead of yourself? And I, I, yeah, I think it's really common to not come back to that. Yeah, there's definitely like, it's pretty common to talk to guys, gals, and it's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like th there's yeah. like these windows of time, especially around a shot opportunity where it's like, I don't remember anything for this, you know, this section of time. Like I remember seeing him and I remember him getting hit. Right. And like a lot of the in-between sometimes isn't very conscious or you just kind of like your mind blacks out. But yeah, if you can be present and, and make good decisions, like there's still a level where you want to be on autopilot, right? Like you don't want to have to think through every single step, but to your point, like if you can be aware of certain things and just like remember to do fundamentals, obviously that's really helpful other than just like blacking out because of the the rush of the moment. Oh, for sure. And I be known I have blacked out multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> this is a massive like left turn, Jessica, but I wanted to hear about it. It's a little bit relevant. We were going to schedule this podcast earlier this summer and we were working around crazy schedules, one of which was a trip you had to South Africa. And uh, it, the African hunts to me, like on one hand, I've always just been like, ah, I don't know, it's not for me. But then I've talked with certain people who had experiences that kind of challenged what my assumptions about Africa were in good ways. And like, and it's like, oh, maybe I am a little bit interested. And obviously, take something like a quote-unquote Africa hunt. Like, there's a lot of different places, species, operations, uh, experiences that could be had. So I'm not trying to put them all in one bucket. But just for you, what was your experience like hunting in South Africa? 
so I, I can say I can relate to some of how you feel and I can probably pinpoint exactly why you feel that way. Um, I, I never had, I was never, there was not a burning desire to go to South Africa, right? Like people have told me for years, you have to go, you have to go. I mean, even people who weren't like hell bent on going, it was not like a huge bucket list thing, but then they went and they're like, oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to go back. I kept hearing that that same reaction from my, you know, fellow hunters. I'm like, I just, I don't know, man. I grew up in South Texas. We have, or sorry, I didn't grow up in South Texas. I hunted South Texas a lot and all through the hill country. And I've seen all those animals in Texas. Like there's not a single animal that I saw in South Africa that I haven't already seen in Texas, but I have never hunted them in Texas because I just thought I want to go hunt them where they're from. And, um, I just, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't seem that appealing to me. Um, and then I got over there and I will say that it's different. It is, it is different. There are a lot of similarities. Um, but let's just address like, usually the first thing people talk about is the high, the high fences. Um, particularly if you go to South Africa, um, you're hunting a lot of private land. You're most likely going to be on a high fenced operation. Now, how big that is. And I, mean, I don't, I, I'm not even going to get into like what's ethical or what makes it more of a hunt. Like some properties are much, much bigger than others. And then there's a huge difference in, are you bringing it in on trailers that you just bought at the auction? Are you, are you hunting animals that were managed well, that you may only see one time the whole time that you're there, right? Like there's a very, there's a drastic difference in experience there. And by the way, it's the same way in Texas. I've seen both of it. I've seen the ranches that have um, quality management within, within those boundaries. They don't bring anything in. And I've seen the ones who bring them in on a trailer just to have the clients that are hunting them for that year. And I don't even want to get into like right, wrong, and different that's just the reality of what you're walking into. I knew that going into South Africa and I thought, I don't want to go. Like there's hundreds of outfitters. How do you know who to go with? And then more specifically, I knew I wanted to exclusively bow hunt. And I've learned over the years that just because they say they offer bow hunting doesn't mean they know anything about how the setup should be. And I've ran into it multiple times. Like, oh, you clearly don't bow hunt because you never, this is not how you set something up. Um, so yeah, I feel like it kind of came to us. It wasn't like we were actively seeking. And what happened was I ran to a a guy, um, that actually works over at Kuyu and he's very particular about who he hunts with and his experience. He's an avid bow hunter. And he's like, this is by far the best, you know, operation to go through. And I loved my experience because I, I never felt like I was hunting zoo. I never felt like it was a canned hunt. I never felt like I, I just, it was not anything like what I was expecting. Um, I went over there with an open mind because I think that's what you have to do to do to really enjoy anything that you do, like anything that you're experiencing in life, but particularly hunting too. Like, okay, maybe this isn't how I usually do things, but this is how they do things. Keep an open mind. Let's just see, you know, let's just soak it all in and take it for what it is. Um, but their operation was, they're very, very, um, specific about what they take. And once they take a certain amount of animals, they don't, 
that anymore. They, you know, they're very particular about how much pressure they have on the animals. Um, they're not bringing them on trailers. He's very against that. Like, he's like, that's kind of what people do around here. I don't care. I'm not going to sacrifice the quality of the experience, you know, it's just, just to get more money. Um, and it's, you can tell, um, I never felt like granted his property is like over 6,000 acres. I think the one that we hunted, it's, it wasn't like a, in, te in Texas, you might hunt a 500 acre property and that's not my style. But the point is I never felt like I was on a game preserve that was like a canned hunt. But to go over there and think that you're going to have a free range hunt in South Africa, particularly, is not a thing. Like some people will, will blur those lines of free range versus this and that. It's it's not. Now, if you go to an experience wild, wild Africa, um, if you want to go stay in the middle of where you have that experience too. I didn't want for my first time over there just i wanted to make sure i felt safe that was another fear i had of like am i going to go over there and feel safe because i know there's a lot of you know like anywhere there's bad stuff that happens all over but um as far as opportunity safety and just introduction to hunting africa um and then particularly with what i had for this outfit i just thought okay this is a good introduction now that i've been over there and like done that I do want to go back and experience like being in a wall tent or tent in general in a village in the middle of nowhere might hear a lion through my tent might not like I, that's what I want to experience the next time I go. Um, but I loved, I loved what I, I loved what I experienced this last time. And I think for example, my number one animal was a kudu. I was there for, I mean, we were there for 10 days and I only saw one kudu the whole time. He, and he was extremely spooky, would not come in, um, never got one. Like where everybody else had opportunities, I never did. Every time you set in a blind, you see something different. I mean, you're sitting, so you're sitting water holes, right? Like you're not sitting a big old pile of bait or alfalfa or a feeder, or at least at this operation, again, it was, it, it felt, it felt like a hunt. I mean, it did. We went days without seeing anything I could shoot because that's just how it goes. Sometimes you don't know what's going to come in. So I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was so cool to see like monkeys and giraffes, just like casually crossing the road. <laughs> um, and the other thing is if you did go, like if you, if you do sign, you're going to see tons of opportunity for animals to cross under like, I don't know if they do that intentionally, but it's not like it's, you know, they don't, they don't have, they didn't have lions and stuff on their property. So they didn't have like electric wiring around the top and not like they said their animals jump their fence regularly. And so, or go under the fence. And so, and I saw it, I mean, I literally saw it with my own eyes. So it was not what I envisioned in my mind as far as like the, you know, what I was worried about when I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to. I'm going to go with it and open mind, but I just don't know if it's going to like really feel good, but it was wonderful. And the culture was so cool. I mean, we ate, we ate the, like the animals that we shot, we ate that every single night. So we tried all kinds of stuff. I mean, I ate wildebeest, water buck, sable, giraffe, um, kudu, like every night it was fresh off the kill. 
was cool. I mean, that was part of the experience too. Um, yeah, life is very, very different over there. Um, I think, I think one thing I have to address, and I don't really know another way to say this and feel free to edit this out. But one thing that really got to me was the, the segregation. I don't know what you've heard about that or if you've heard about that, but it felt like, I don't know. There's just like this very hard line between whites and blacks and, um, it, you can't, it, like you can't not notice it. It's just, it's like, rather than using tractors to pick up all their crops, you had people out there picking onions by hand for $8 a day. Um, it's just different. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I stepped back in time and the thing, but I will, I do want to say with that, they all seemed so happy. It's like, they were so happy to be wherever they were, to just have a job to just have food on the table, have shelter. Um, they used every part of every animal, like the organs, the tongue, the, the, you know, intestines, like they used everything. They were so grateful. Like they freaked out when we shot guineas, you know, it's like, there's hundreds of guineas and it's like a freaking chicken. They just, they were, I, I thought they would cry. I thought they were going to cry whenever they, they was like their favorite thing. Um, it's, it's just different. They see life differently and just be prepared for that. If you go over there, cause I was not in, I'm like, this is really weird. Like I have not ever seen this before other than on TV or, you know, you hear about it or you read about it in history books. Like, yeah, it's very clear over there. Makes me like kind of come full circle a little bit on earlier. You talked about like stopping and literally smelling the flowers, but you know, we've talked so much about, Hey, the, the hunt is about much more than just the animal. And even for a trip like that, like just to experience a different place and culture and learn more about humanity um, and the contrast of what our normal day-to-day -day life is, you know, where we live versus other places. Um, yeah, even on a even on a hunting trip, it's like, what can you learn about life and people and new places and culture and all that? And I think just going into any trip, uh, Africa, especially, but any trip with that mindset is just going to make the whole experience of a hunt be much more fulfilling. Yeah. Um, they're so grateful for everything. Um, like the cook, the chef, he's been there for 18 years and he goes home, you know, they all go home to their, to their villages in different countries but they don't, they only go there maybe once a year and they might have one or two weeks off and then they come back and, you know, cause working through an outfitter, you're going to make a lot more money than any other job. And so it's great. It's a great living for them. They're able to, you know, buy land back where they're from and have a farm and sell their crops. And, you know, it's so, they're so happy. Like everybody that I was around was just smiling all the time. And, they were treated really, really well as far as like, it's not like, I don't want to paint the picture like that they were um, put down by, by, by the white men or anything like that. It's not, it was not like that at all. There was just a line of, in like a, a, a mutual respect of we don't cross that line. Right. Um, but I, what I loved is they would bring stuff back from like the chef. He brought some like 
handmade baskets and jewelry and little wood carved, you know, animals and just lots of artwork. And when you, when we purchased some of it, I mean, his eyes were filling up with tears and he's like, you're going to help my son go to school. Cause he wanted to send his son to, um, off to school. And that was, that was providing him with the opportunity. And I just, to know where your money's going and to know that people appreciate it. And then in, in contrast, I think about how life is here and just the trivial things that we harp on it myself included, right? Like I'm, I'm not, a, I'm no exception to that. Like, um, it's really eye opening that like what we allow to get to us and impact us and versus what really matters life. Like it's, it's, it's very eye opening. And, and, and you're right, that culture experiencing the culture of everywhere I go is my number one reason for going there. I, I, again, hunting is second to experiencing that because when you go somewhere and you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you approach it with an open mind and I'm going to like soak all this in, you learn to have compassion for others. And when you get to that place in life, it's like, all you can, you're going to grow from that. And that's, what's important to me. Like, how can I be, be a better human? Well, I can open my eyes and, uh, be empathetic to someone else's situation and make it less about me and more about, about them. Like just having compassion for people is, is powerful. That's everybody's important. And I like being able to connect with people and kind of get on their level wherever they are that moment and you, you can't you can't not do that whenever you're over there and you're seeing like wow i thought that i was grateful i thought that i you know really appreciated everything in my life but this is this is next level like this is it kind of it opens your eyes for sure I, I would prefer to end like right there. Usually if there's like, a, it's like, hey, we're at about time and there's like something <laughs> profound and like worth thinking about and continuing to leave with the listeners is like a final thought. That's what I prefer to do. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's said, totally fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that said though, I, and this feels extra trivial now, I, because we don't talk to women as frequently as, you know, we could and we, Steve and I talk about gear all the time and stuff like that, but like, getting the female perspective, particularly on things like just practical gear and stuff like that. Um, you know, we get questions on, cause again, guys are taking their wives. Uh, I know a guy who's taking a sister on his first backpack hunt this year, taking kids, et cetera. So again, this feels like a, uh, almost unwarranted, like far left-hand turn again. But <laughs> while I have you, what are some of the practical things that because you know it can be challenging to gear up for some hunts as a, a lady and it's clearly gotten much much better over the last handful of years but very practical stuff like what what do you do for boots jess what's your favorite boot for a woman um so i switch between kinetrex and hanwags so like when you say practical gear the very first thing that comes to mind is pack and boots like you cannot I don't care how much time it takes to spend figuring out what works for your feet and your back, but you need to take whatever time it takes. Like it, it's 
those are the two most important things in my opinion on any hunt male or woman i i i don't i don't i don't know if y'all agree or disagree but we say that all the time actually those exact two things yeah one thousand percent yeah yeah it's they ruin a hunt yeah yeah if your feet aren't happy and your back is killing you like screw that man i don't want to keep going and i've been doing this a long time um that being said i have really weird feet um like uh for example all the guys in my office wear crispy boots they i mean all of them there's a couple that there's one that wears kinetrek and i think one that wears hanwag but most of them wear crispy boots um those don't work for me i've tried them and i even ran into kindle and i like i like i said i ran into kindle i this is not any secret i've told kindle this to his face i'm like i really need some narrow boots and at sheep show i told him i said like if you just make some more narrow boots maybe i could try your boots but they they're just too wide for me like even the women's stuff and i took my shoe off and showed him he's like those are very interesting <laughs> like, he's like <laughs> i'm not gonna do that he's like we don't quite make them that narrow and so that's um my been my biggest challenge and again i know i have a little bit you know abnormally narrow they're like skis um so finding the ones that work for me and uh again taking the time it takes to break them in i made the mistake years ago when i went to new zealand and hunted tar I didn't break in my boots before. And I have no problem saying this now. I had no business going on that hunt. I knew, I did not have enough experience underneath my belt. My mental strength is the only thing that carried me through that hunt because I did not, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I did not know the importance of having a, a broken in pair of boots. And so, yeah, uh, it was super pain. My knees were never the same after that trip. Um, and it all matters. And so I would say, take the time that you need to find the right pair of boots. And maybe that is crispy. A lot of women love crispy. Um, there's Kinetrek, there's, you know, Wog. Um, I've ran Scarpas before. That's a good option, especially for narrow feet. They worked well for me. Um, but take the time that you need to break them in. Like if you're going to go Kinetrek, a full leather boot, put 50 to 75 miles on them before you ever go on your hunt. I cannot stress that enough. Do not wait and think that even a 10 mile hike is going to, you know, equate I'm ready for this hunt. It just doesn't work that way. So um, even my Hanwags, it's a much lighter boot and they they were stiff as crap and they, they kind of hurt at first. And then I was like, I'm going to give these a true like break in period. And once I got them broken in, I'm like, I love them, but the first few times I use them, like not super crazy about these. Um, I just think that's important. But again, then you go with a crispy boot or something like that. People say, oh, you can wear them right out of the box. Yeah, maybe you can. And if you're only hunting once or twice that season, okay. But if you're someone who's going to continue to hunt a lot throughout the year, to something that's like a big part of your lifestyle, I don't mean this offensively, Kendall, if you listen to this, I mean this with all the love in the world, but if you're going to hunt your tail off, you're probably going to have to buy another pair each season. That's what our guys do. They buy new Krispies every single year and they're okay with that because they love that, those boots. Um, if you can afford that and justify it for your lifestyle, awesome. I just, A, they, did, they didn't work for me and B, I wanted something that was going to last years and years. So 
it's a trade-off. I think you just have to find what meshes with your feet and it's not going to be some quick thing. So start now. I can, I cannot stress that enough. I would hesitate to ask about pack, but I will just say you've been pretty happy with uh, the ladies XO, right? <laughs> yes. And I've, um, and like I said, I've tried, I've tried wonderful brands out there. Um, any of the top lines of packs and I can say great things about all of them, but it was really cool to put that K4 on. I was like so happy. So a couple of things that really stand out to me, um, I'm, I'm a fairly thin person and my hip bones, like particularly on the belt, uh, most packs rub me like raw, like I just get bruised up really, really bad on the hip belt and our waist belt. And so when I put y'all's on, even up to, you know, 50, 60 pounds, like I could feel the pressure. Obviously you're going to, it's not, it's not like you can avoid that, but there's a drastic shift for me between y'all's, um, between the comfort of that hip belt versus other packs and even the lumbar, the lumbar support. And I love that, you know, you can swap those out if you want to, but it, it, everything worked perfectly for me. I love that they're kind of like molded a little bit, you know, some packs are just straight out and it's cinching it down that curves it to your hips versus y'all's like already have a little bit of a curve to it. Um, I think that probably helps too, cause you're not fighting it. Like you're not fighting against the mold of it. Um, my hips don't bruise. They don't, they don't hurt like they did for a long time when I was using other packs. Um, I feel like y'all have figured out the way that, I don't know, it feels like it's hugging me. I know that sounds strange, but I noticed the shift in going from like 20 pounds to 30, 35 pounds, like as I was, you know, increasing weight as I'm rucking going into this season, like the jump between weights didn't really feel like much at all. Like I was telling my husband, I'm like, I don't think this is 35 pounds. He's like, I'm telling you it's freaking sand. And I weighed it. It's 35 pounds. I'm like, but I only had a 20 pound dumbbell in here before. And it doesn't really feel much different. He's like, that's because it's a good pack, you know, like the weight is riding correctly. And I will say I've packed more weight out with y'all's pack than any other, because I can, you know, I, I wasn't able not, not that the, not that the pack couldn't handle it. Right. I've, I've always ran really well built packs, but how it meshed with my body. It wasn't killing my lower back. It wasn't fighting me. You know, it's like, it was just, it, 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 it meshed with me. It, it just works. It works with, I don't know, man, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like magical. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what's your kind of weight limit? You know, for me, you know, oh, yeah, 115 pounds is like, ugh, I don't want to go much more than that. If I got a long pack out, what, what does that look like for you? Uh, my weight limit probably, I don't know, you know, I don't know the heaviest pack I ever had was, I don't know, probably pushing 80. Wow. Um, I last year I was packing, uh, my last trip off the mountain, I was packing my bowl out and I did not expect to have to pack out this last load by myself, but we obviously we didn't, all we had was our garments and I don't know if it was a delay in messages, but 
nobody had showed up until I already had everything in my back. So it was a full hind quarter, my head in cape and a couple, I think like, like my tenderloins are back or like a back strap or something like just like a scrap bag of some kind. Um, plus whatever else was on me, my water and anything else in my bag. But that, I don't know what that is, but it was freaking so heavy. At least 80. Yeah. Let's say that's closer it, to plus 90, hundred. Yeah. It, yeah. it hurt. I'll tell you it freaking hurt, but thankfully most of that was downhill. It wasn't. Um, so it was more just keeping my balance and anything. Um, it wasn't, it was, it was hard. It hurt like getting off the ground hurt, but then, <laughs> but I also kind of, I like roll over. Like some people get, they can go forward and get picked up. And I don't, I hate that. I like to roll over and then stand up. And that seems to be the best way for me to get a heavier load off. And yeah, I was able to do it. Um, and then my goat hunt going in, I think my pack and weapon was 63 pounds. And then I had some goat meat on top of that coming off from Alaska. So oh, I, yeah more than that but yeah it works i've put it through some stuff and it's it's been really nice now i will say back to like items that i wouldn't go without um for many years i never ran trekking poles and i know guys who just like oh i don't need trekking poles and maybe you don't that's fine they are a game changer for me particularly with a heavy load like i don't know even without a heavy load on like i just enjoy having trekking poles on me if i can um so if you have a wife going into the woods and she's you know maybe doesn't handle that weight on her back really well or she's like still getting her feet underneath her if she's not used to running in the mountains like get her a pair of trekking poles because i i i again i never used them before my boss is the one that turned me on to him and i'm like hunted the mountains for a long time. I've never used them. He's like, just try it. And I do feel like it's a game changer. I feel like particularly packing out, just not having to use those really small muscles as much because you have that balance and you're not just gripping, you know, with your feet and like tensing up as much. It, it saves my energy a lot more. Yeah. Their checking poles are absolute necessity. That's no question. What, uh, clothing do you use any quote-unquote system or brand like what just what are some of the things that you found that fit you well with your figure and help like again going back to like keeping you warm and comfortable um so with like without hesitation my favorite absolute favorite layering system and like fit and everything is the kuyu line that launched last year um they just they just killed it. Like it's true to size, it's quality. I mean, all that they duplicated a system that they've been using for a long time with men's, but they took the time that it, they needed to shape it for a woman. And I've seen women that are much curvier than me, that it fits them great. They're happy with it. Um, my only complaint is they don't offer talls in their pants. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't have any kind of inside scoop, but they know how I feel about it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I would love for them to offer a tall. I'm like right at the line of like the regulars work, but, but I would love a pant if I could, if I had the option. Um, so yeah, like two staple pieces for me, like their Kenai jacket is my favorite insulation layer by far. It's quiet. It's, it's, it's light. Um, 
it's like, if you're not hiking a ton, you can hike in it without just sweating your tail off. Um, it's quiet when you're archery hunting, come into full draw. Like I freaking love it. Their attack pants, another top seller of theirs on the, on the men's line. So they use the same naming system for anybody listening, anything in the men's line, they kept the name on the women's line, which I really, really like that. Cause again, for years I've heard about these particular pieces and I never got to try them until last year. Um, their attack pants are incredible fit. They're functional. They have the hip zips for, some ventilation, the big cargo pockets where I can fit, like I can fit my big, um, iPhone 12 pro in there. Just again, cause I'm always on Onyx and stuff as I'm in the mountains. Um, but a lot of times they'll women's lines will cut those pockets short or they're like, it's just like an awkward size. Like, I don't even know what people would put in those pockets. And so I like that they, I like the dimensions of those. Um, they dry quickly. Like if you do walk through some damp grass, you're not wearing gaiters or you're sitting down in a glass, like they dry out pretty quickly. So attack pant and the Kenai jacket, like hands down my two favorite pieces of that. Um, Sitka also does really good on their women's line. I haven't got to test as many things on theirs, but I have tested kind of like a elk hunting setup, if you will, like for that time of year, their timberline pant, is as good as like it's amazing they have the reinforced knees and the reinforced butt so again if you're sitting down glassing and it's really dewy it's kind of like that more durable um material and you don't get your butt wet when you're sitting down the knees are so nice they have the um knee pads that you can take out sometimes i wear them with sometimes without but if i'm like spot and stalking i always have them in saves your knees it's they're they're really nice. Um, definitely my favorite piece. Again, I wish they had an option to make longer pants. That's probably my my biggest complaint with women's clothes. Um, I think the only line that offers talls, well, actually, I don't know if they offer tall, so I don't want to say that. I don't know what lines offer tall pants, but that's my biggest complaint with women's clothing. And sometimes I just wear gaiters to make up for it. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to do, right? Like, Gators are great anyway, but they add that they kind of cover up where you're afraid that you might get some debris in your shoe because the pants are a little bit shorter than you'd like. If you step, they're going to really get something in them. So if you're wearing gators, it just kind of avoids that. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are definitely the top lines that I've come across. And Obviously, one is more affordable than the other, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, another left turn for you. Sure. You're obviously, listening to you, it's pretty clear you're a very thoughtful and reflective person. My uh, asking about my daughter; she's six, and I want to, you know, obviously, I want her to hunt and be outdoors and active with me. I don't. I don't think she doesn't have any interest in hunting. And when I talk about killing an animal, she's kind of like, Oh dad, gross. You know, do you, I don't want to push her and I want her, you know, to do what she wants to do, but clearly I'd love for her to be out there with me as she gets older. Do you have any advice or looking back on what your dad did with you when you were little to, you know, kind of go push her gently in that direction? Yes, I do. Because I was that little girl for a while. I, I vividly remember when I was younger, because I was in deer camp and at a deer camp our whole life. He always had a deer lease in Texas somewhere. Um, and 
I was around it. I was exposed to it. You know, we, we went out, we were always outdoors, but I vividly remember being like, daddy, why are you killing that deer? I don't, you know, like I didn't understand and couldn't understand why he'd want to shoot something. Um, but my dad, he, I say he did it right because he just kept bringing me around it and like exposing me to everything else that makes up hunting outside of shooting an animal, right? Like just teaching me about, um, teaching me like everything from like making it fun, like what, like talking about tracks or, you know, pick the flowers or looking at a bird or like, it, it was just, he made it interesting and went to my level, whatever that looked like. Right. Like he met me where I was. And if you can meet a kid where they are and as soon as they're over it, let them be over it. Right. Don't, don't force them to stay wherever they are or force them to like, to try to enjoy what you enjoy. Um, because again, there's a lot more, more to hunting than, than actually killing the animal. So if you can bring them to enjoy, just appreciate the outdoors as a whole, I think they're all, they're going to come back to that. And my dad, <clears throat> he always, he always says, um, that he, he planted the seed and what he meant by that. Cause I, cause I didn't hunt for a little bit and it, he waited, he, he never even suggested me shooting anything ever, but I would be around guns and then you know target practicing and i would see them skinning deer and all that like i just it was just kind of like a part of our life but he never tried to say you should go shoot one or do you want to shoot one or let's go target practice he just he just stayed patient with me but i'll tell you what made a difference for me um was seeing another woman hunt so my stepmom you know, she was, she's, gosh, she's dangerous with a shotgun, but she didn't get into the like whitetail hunting until a little bit later. And seeing her hunt changed a lot for me. Um, and I like to quote my friend, Sierra Langbell. She always says that if the woman of the house or if the woman around you hunts, then the whole family hunts, right? Cause if dad hunts, that's to be expected men. That's like just what men like to do. They like to hunt fish. But when mom does it, it's like, Whoa, this, soft, gentle, nurturing, motherly human also is fine going and bringing the meat home. And there's like a shift in like, oh, so it's okay for me to do that. Or it's like, it's, it's like a, mm -hmm. it makes you stop and think maybe I could do it too. And it's okay. It's not, it's acceptable. Um, cause your whole life growing up, like as a kid, you're like, what do you, here you hear oh boys don't do that. don't do that boys don't wear that girls don't wear that and so i think seeing that and visually seeing like oh my gosh another woman just shot a deer and she's confident she she feel she's excited it's it what she's not she's not upset like whatever you take in that moment it the big picture is it's okay it's acceptable and so when i saw i think I think that that was the turning point for me. I remember feeling a lot more comfortable having her in camp and not just being the only girl there. And so, and if your, your wife or significant other doesn't hunt, that's totally fine. I'm just saying expose her to other girls that do enjoy it 
because you're a product of your environment. You're a product of what you're surrounded by. And women mm-hmm. connect with women. There's that it's just the way that it is. Like even looking back, I'm really great to put a bow in my hand, but if I could do it all over, I would, I would in anything that I do, I want to learn from a woman with pistol class. I, I wanted to learn from a woman. I, I, my friend Tess taught me a lot. Um, I, with fishing, I'm going to seek out women who fish because, um, I don't know. We think differently. We react differently. We appreciate things differently. It's just, it's just the difference in men and women. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not meant to be like a good or bad. Um, I just think that if she sees that she'll feel more comfortable exploring what that it looks like for her. And, um, my dad just always said, yeah, I just, I planted the seed. Cause the truth is when I got to, so I hunted all through high school and then when I went off to college, I was a full-time student and working all the time. And, you know, I had other interests. I had, you know, I had, a, I had boyfriends. I was living in a different town. I loved to go dancing. I loved live music. My life was very filled in other ways and hunting was not a part of it. So for a handful of years until I got through college, I really didn't, I don't even, I might've hunted once or twice, but I just, I was just in, I was in a different town doing different things in a different chapter of my life, but I came back to it. In fact, the minute I met Braxton, the first thing we ever did was go to South Texas, go to South Texas and go hog hunting. And, and then we flew off to Kansas and went whitetail hunting. And it's like, it came right back to it. And my dad said, yeah, it's because when you plant the seed and you, you show children the beauty and everything else. And like, the, you know, everything that comes with the outdoors, they'll come back to it. You just have to plant the seed. They'll always come back if you just make it a positive experience and meet them where they are. What age for was it when you saw it? You said you saw your, um, you, you basically wanted to start hunting. Yeah. So I didn't get behind the weapon until middle school. I think I was like in eighth grade. Um, uh, 13, 14. Like yeah, that. I think I was 14. I think I was 14. And so I remember when I told him I was ready to shoot a deer, he was like, oh my God, you thought it was like Christmas. He was so excited. <laughs> and, um, so then we went through hunter safety and then we started, you know, shooting at the range, which I would also say gun or bow. That's something, again, you, I tell everybody, you don't have to shoot an animal to get behind a weapon. Like there's a confidence that can be built by just learning how to hit your mark. Right. And learning like the technique and it's a life skill. And it, it it's, I mean, kids love archery, right? Like get her a little play bow and let's shoot it. My sister ate that up and she still doesn't, she doesn't want to kill anything yet. And she's 10 right now, but I think she's like right around, like she's on the verge of like dad, I'm ready to kill something. Um, so I think girls just hit that point later. That being said, I grew up in Texas. There's no age limit. I can't tell you how many five-year-olds I know that have killed deer. Like it's just a lifestyle down here. And so I think you just have to gauge what that looks like for your daughter and, and just really read her, like, you know, make sure that she's ready for it. But the whole journey of leading up to my first kill was, so cool and some of the most special times with my dad like i'll i'll just never forget it i actually shot a coyote for my first animal which made him even more proud because it's not hard it's not easy to get your kid on a, a predator hunt but it just worked out that way and he loves killing coyotes so um 
yeah, those are some really, really special times. I, I think you just have to make that call of what age is appropriate. And I'm, I'm sure that mom will, will fight you a little bit on that. I, I, I've typically seen like moms get a little nervous about kids being too young, little girls shooting too young. Right. So mm-hmm. maybe wait a little bit. Well, thank you. That's great advice. What you said is so true, Jess, about like girls connecting to and wanting to like learn from and being inspired by other girls and women is so true. Uh, My daughter killed her first year when she was 11. And it was a lot of what you said, like I just exposed it to her and let her kind of embrace it and like pursue it at whatever level she wanted to. Um, But even since then, like she happened to have she came out like right before I came in to record this podcast and I told her, I was like, all right, babe, I got to go. I got to do a podcast. And she was like, Oh, who's it with? And I was like, Oh, it's this girl, Jess. And I pulled up your Instagram really quick and was sh- showing her stuff. She's 14 now. Um, and, uh, she, she thought it was so cool looking at your stuff, Jess. And it was really funny. Cause she was like, Oh man, look at that mountain goat she got. And like, she was going on and on and bought it. Thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was like, I shot a manga last <laughs> fall. She could like kind of care less, you know, <laughs> but like to see you do it, like she was all about it, man. Yeah. It's funny how that works. I mean, I'm 33 and I still look at other women doing it. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. I don't, I, it's funny. I don't know why it's that way, but um, that's really cool. That made me smile really big. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what it is about seeing um a fellow woman do it, but I think there's, it's just not naturally in us to want to go do something like that. And so the what if of like, could I do it? And could I be good at it? And then, so when you have that hesitation and then you are good at it, it's like, oh man. And it's like, it's like the biggest confidence, just like that. Oh man, that I would, I would say it just, you just reminded me growing up when my dad, so my dad introduced me to all that and I got a few kills underneath my belt with them. I asked him, I said, oh, and then the next step was he taught me how to drive a standard Jeep on the property. Like so many of my like like growth in in becoming a woman was out outdoors and like on the property where, you know, you just you just learn so much. And so once he taught me how to drive the Jeep and how to safely handle a gun and to load an animal in the back of the buggy and then, you know, learn how to break it down. I got to this point where I was like, dad, can I, can I go hog hunt by myself? And he let me. And then finding the confidence of getting to walk to the stand by yourself. Cause you know, you're in the, like I had to drive in the dark and then walk in the dark all the way to my stand by myself, which as a little, it's a little intimidating because you start hearing things. Um, and then, you know, climbing up into my stand and then I actually got one and then figuring out how to load that freaking thing. Like, and then you do that from start to finish and you have a parent that supports that because they, they're confident in what they've taught you. It's just like this domino effect of like, holy crap, I can do this. And I don't take this wrong. It's like, I don't need a man. <laughs> and <Yeah>. my dad, <laughs> you know, growing up, he right, wrong or indifferent. He always told us like, he never, he wanted, he had all girls and he just wanted all of us to feel like if you want to be with a man, be with them. But I want you to know that you don't need a man. And that came in all, in all, all things, right? Like he said, 
I'm helping you with college because I want you to get a degree so that you don't get married thinking that you have to be married to be able to afford a life that you want, right? Like, I don't want you to lean on other people. I want you to choose that life. I want you to choose a significant other. I want you to choose to spend your time in the woods with someone. I want you to like, let it be a choice, not a, not a feeling of this is what I have to have to be successful. And it's a beautiful thing. It's been really, you know, it's helped me a lot. And it's, it's also made things a little difficult because I'm hardheaded. Um, but I would just say building a little girl's confidence, especially in this world that we live in, that can tend to be, uh, rough. And I mean, yeah, you're, she's going to run into things that are, that are, uh, challenging. And so, to give her these skills, these life skills that she can have forever is one of the greatest gifts that you'll, you'll ever give her period. Like in, in whether she hunts or not, she, I promise you one day she will look back and be like, she'll understand it. It'll, it'll impact her. Like when she's older and actually has things to worry about, like she's still in that mindset of like, life is great. Like I don't have any cares in the world. I don't have bills. I don't have, <laughs> you know what I mean? But one day mm-hmm. she'll look back and she'll appreciate the quietness of the woods and the the basic life st- skills that you're teaching her. It's awesome. I, we came full back, cir- came full circle to come back on ending on something profound. So there we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. I say this often, but man, I stink and mean it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It was an awesome experience to get to talk with Jess and learn more about her, what she's up to. I'm inspired walking away from this episode, and I hope you are as well. As always, if you have anything for us, reach out. You can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And be sure to check out all the links in the show description where you can get in touch with us. You can learn more about Jess learn more about Hunt and Fool. So be sure to go check that out if there's anything you want to dive deeper into that we discussed today. Finally, be sure to hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app if you haven't already so that you receive all future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.